Titus chapter 1. And we have been working through the book of Titus as we're thinking about the church as a whole and correcting what is lacking in the church. Correcting what is lacking in the church. Paul told Titus, he said, For this reason I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. It seems like Paul would have Titus be on some kind of a church planting mission in the, on the island of, of Crete. And what we're trying to do is just seek to identify potential areas within this local church. There might be some area of lack, somewhere that we need to sort of um, reform our ways according to God's word. And so we're looking at the book of Titus in three particular areas. In chapter one, we're looking at the areas regarding church polity, that's church government. And then in chapter two, we'll be looking primarily at church preaching or the, or the teaching, the doctrine of the church. And then in chapter three, we'll look at church practice. And we're going to try to address areas where there just might be some areas of lack in our church. And so I'm asking you to be thinking about this, thinking about our church and how we can be uh, simply direct our ways according to the word of God. And we've been thinking these last number of weeks that we've been able to be together. I know it's kind of a week or two and then a couple of weeks of break and a week or two, a couple of weeks of break. But we've been thinking primarily about chapter one and the presence and role of leaders within the church, the presence and role of leaders within the church. And Paul calls Titus to appoint elders in, in every city. Now, there's a, a place or every town. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the presence and the plurality of elders. We've talked a little bit about the purpose of, of elders. And I suppose I just want you to make sure that you understand something uh, as we go on. I was teaching this two, three weeks ago in Uganda, and I think it was super, super helpful for those men there because there's, a, there's simply a lot of error in the church. And I want you to understand that there are numerous places in the New Testament that talk about church leadership, specifically the role of, the presence of, the reality of uh, an elder. But sometimes it uses different terms. And we tried to show that a couple of weeks ago, but I just want to highlight that. You'll have the term elder being used. You'll have the term uh, overseer being used. You'll have the term pastor being used. Uh, sometimes if you have a, an older translation, instead of overseer, you'll hear the word bishop being used. I think it's a um, uh, sort of a carryover from Catholicism. Uh, you have elder, overseer, pastor. Uh, you you speak of uh, you speak of a shepherd. Peter says that in in First Peter chapter five, Acts chapter twenty verse twenty eight. Paul talks about the elders who are called to shepherd the flock. The point that I want to make is wherever you see these terms: shepherd, pastor, elder, overseer, slash bishop. We're not talking about different offices. We're not talking about different people. We're talking about the same office. So as we said, an elder is a pastor. A pastor is an elder. 
is an overseer, is a shepherd, right? We see all of these things working together. And you see these, let me just show you a couple of places where these, kind, these terms are used interchangeably. Uh, look with me at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And one of the things that's interesting, by the way, in the book of Acts, I won't do this tonight just because of time's sake, but if you trace the leadership in the book of Acts, you know uh, the book of Acts is a very transitional book, right? So it's, it's, there's lots of transitioning, transitions that are happening in the book of Acts. And one of the transitions that we see happening early on, first chapter 2, 3, 4 of, of the book of Acts, what we see is leadership regarding uh, in, within the church really residing under a few, which would be who? The apostles, right? Because we're talking about the church in Jerusalem. And you see the apostolic leadership, apostolic teaching. And then all of a sudden, somewhere, I think it's around, I can't remember, maybe like chapter 5, chapter 6, somewhere in there. All of a sudden, whereas you're reading about uh, uh, apostles, now all of a sudden you're reading about the apostles and the elders, And you have this, if you trace that through the book of Acts, you see apostles, apostles, now apostles and elders, apostles and elders, apostles and elders. And then all of a sudden, somewhere about three quarters of the way through the book of Acts, you don't read so much about the apostles anymore, but what you're reading about, you're reading about the elders. And so you see this transition happening through the book of Acts. But look here in Acts chapter 20 and verse um, 28. The Apostle Paul calling the Ephesian elders together. So these are elders from Ephesus. The Ephesian elders. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You see, he's talking to elders, and he reminds them that they're to shepherd, and he tells them that God has made them overseers. So the point is, just so we know, when we talk about church government, one of the offices in the church is the office of an elder. But by saying that, I'm not saying the elder, the office of an elder, and the office of pastor, and the office of an overseer or bishop or something like that. All right? We're talking about, we're talking about the same people. All right. And as we said, whenever you see this office in the New Testament, there's always the plurality of elders, the plurality of pastors, the plurality of shepherds within each local flock. I found it really interesting. I I was talking to somebody about that this week. Um, I came across a website of of a local church and as I was reading, it's a, it's a, a new church that's being formed. Um, and as I was reading, their statement went like this when it came to church government. I, I feel like it's a bad thing anytime you begin a statement like this. While we believe the, t- the Bible teaches, while we believe the Bible teaches plurality of elders, we, <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, this is going to get bad. While we believe this is what the Bible teaches, they say, we are not going to have a plurality of elders. Even though we believe that's what the Bible teaches, that's not what we're going to have. And I think, you, boy, you're setting yourself up for danger right there, right 
away. So you see the presence of elders. See them introduced throughout the New Testament. You see the plurality of elders. You also see uh, the purpose of elders. But we've talked a little bit, and we we haven't talked enough about this, but the qualification for elders. Titus is given the qualification for elders in Titus chapter 1. And what's amazing is, while Paul says in Titus chapter 1, here's the qualifications for an elder in the local New Testament church in Titus chapter 1, he tells Timothy the qualifications for an overseer, is a different word, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But those those qualifications are very, very similar. They are they're essentially equal. So the elder in Titus chapter 1 could, is the same as the overseer in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now I want to read to you uh, some of the, these, these qualifications. So go back with me now to Titus chapter 1. And again, we're just trying to look for things that, that might be lacking here in our own church, ways that we can reform ourselves according to God's word and so we can understand what is God's plan. We don't want to be that church that says, we believe the Bible teaches this, but we're going to do this. Boy, that would be terrible if we were like that. So notice what he says. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And now here are the kind of guys you're to look for. If anyone is above reproach, that's the overall general idea. Anyone is above reproach. And then he starts bringing it down. The husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now let's look at the same, the, the, the correlating passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So we see here the, the presence of, we see throughout the New Testament, the presence 
of the elders, plurality of elders. We see the purpose and the qualifications that are given here. The primary role of an elder is, or, or a pastor, an overseer, is as a manager, a steward, a, a caretaker of the church. And so throughout the New Testament, some of the things we see elders doing, we see these, these spiritual overseers doing, we see them determining policy for the church. See that in Acts chapter 15. They're, they're generally exercising oversight in Acts chapter 20. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about those who are watching over the souls of, of the flock of God. Um, they ordain others. They, they recognize and lay hands on others, appointing them into the ministry in 1 Timothy chapter 4. They, they oversee, they administrate the, the, the church. They teach they preach, they exhort, they, Titus chapter 1 verse 9, they stop the mouths of false teachers. They, they simply, they, they are to set an example for all believers to follow. They are there to be leaders spiritually leading so that others can follow. This is, this is at the core of the New Testament work of the elder or, or the pastor. Now, last time that we were together, we found ourselves talking about church leadership and, and the, the offices in the church, and we found ourselves talking, we went to Acts chapter 6, and we saw this sort of introduction here, we saw the church growing, and the church doing what the church is supposed to do, and then there were some issues within the church, as the church was growing, some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food there was a problem that's what happens in a growing church there become problems and issues and so what happened the apostles saying my this is not good we're we're being taken away from the primary role that we're given we're we're being taken away from the primary role that we're given so what you need to do church we want you to choose for yourselves seven godly men who will be able to serve the needs of the church, who will be able to give themselves to the, to the care for the church so that we can give ourselves to the word and to, and to prayer. And of course they do that and seven men, godly men are chosen. And while the word that we would come later to understand, see, while we see that, that word deacon or servant, we wouldn't see that come to be used later until later in the New Testament, we see the seeds of it there in Acts chapter 6. And one of the things that I want you to remember is we're looking, as we're looking at the New Testament, we're watching the church grow and we're seeing God reveal His truth and His will and His way for His church. And those needs, as those needs are developing, as those areas of weakness and those areas of lack uh, necessary needs are developing and showing themselves, God then points us to what would be called uh, this, ultimately this office of a deacon. The, the title deacon has many, many different connotations, has many different understandings. The, the, the scripture itself is actually kind of vague initially about this, this term deacon. Uh, it's a word the the 
you've heard the word diaconate. That's the Greek word itself, just a transliteration of the Greek word. It, it just means to serve. And it's a reference, essentially, to a servant within the house, a, a house steward who would care for the needs of the house so that the house could run properly, so the household could be well taken care of. Um, the word deacon itself suggests all kinds of service. All kinds of service. As you trace that through the New Testament, you'll find, do you know what its primary uh, connotation is? Serving food. A deacon is one who serves food. We read that in John chapter 2. Uh, verses 5 and 9, one who is like the, the head waiter. You read that about, about Peter's mother-in-law in Luke chapter 4. Immediately, she got up and served them. She, she deaconed them, right? And, and it was providing, providing food. You see this throughout the New Testament. So most of the time in the New Testament, it's just this term is used very generally just for this one who serves food. Sometimes the word is used of a general servant of Christ. For instance, John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone deacons me, (laughs) if anyone serves me, Jesus says, he must follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also, if anyone deacons or serves me, the Father will honor him. So in some context, that word that we would translate deacon or service or like that house steward just refers to a general kind of, of a servant of Christ. And in that way, I hope we're all deacons, right? I hope we are all servants of Christ. Sometimes the word, however, itself doesn't, isn't even reserved for a, a, a spiritual context. Sometimes the word just refers to, to general service. One who, who can be, even in the book of Romans chapter 13, one who can be a minister uh, of God. Uh, he says in um, a minister of God to bring wrath on those who practice evil. Other times, the book, the word is much more specific. And it's going from being a general way to talk about a servant of Christ to sometimes it's referring to a servant of the saints. Romans chapter 15 is a good one. Paul calls himself a deacon. He said, I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Sometimes the word's just a general servant of Christ. Sometimes it's in reference to being a servant of the saints. Same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The churches in Macedonia are serving other churches, supporting other churches. In this way, I mean, everyone again, it can be any act of obedience, any act of servants, servant, servanthood. So we see there are Various ways that the word is used. But we understand the word deacon specifically 
to be referring to an office in the local church, an office in the local church. Let me show you a couple of people who are referred to as deacons or servants in in the church. Go with me, first of all, to, uh, let's see here, Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is talking to the Ephesians here. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother, and here it is, faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. Paul seems to be calling Tychicus a faithful diakonos, a faithful deacon. Paul uses that word same way in chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 4, verse 12, just referring to to general service. Again, look over now at the book of Colossians chapter 1. And we see in Ephesians chapter 6, Tychicus, here in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7, we see Epaphras as a faithful servant. Just as you learned it, Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Epaphras here is a faithful servant of Christ on your behalf. Um, We read about deacons in Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes to the church, and in the book of Philippians, if you just turn back a a few chapters, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Interesting here. Paul identifies, he's talking to the church, and the church here in Philippi has both overseers and and deacons, overseers, and servants of the church. Overseers here isn't the word that we'd normally use for an elder. Uh, overseer is, is the Greek word, you've heard this before, episkopos. And he's, he's, he's identifying those, those leaders within the church, those who are leading in the church together with the deacons. Those who are servants of the church. We don't come to see this being referred to. And I'm just going to skip ahead here in my notes just because of of time. We don't see the word deacons being used or deacon being used in a formal kind of way until we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 we just read about verses 1 through 7. We had the qualifications for an elder, an overseer, a shepherd, a pastor in the church. And immediately, without taking any time whatsoever, what does Paul do? From going to talk about the qualifications of an elder, 
he immediately goes in to talking about the qualifications, chapter 3 and verse 8, to a deacon or deacons. He says this, deacons likewise, this is 1 Timothy 3, 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons... Each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we're probably, by the time Paul writes this, we're probably somewhere around the mid, mid to late 60s A.D. And we see... That the church had developed to the point where not only are there specific qualifications for church leaders, but there are this, there's this set sort of organization that is no doubt by divine design, but there's this organization that has been appointed for the church, and there seems to be some flexibility with in this organization because God had some idea, some understanding, of course, of the different historical contexts, the different uh, cultural contexts, the different situations that would arrive within each church. What we see here in the scriptures is not so much an emphasis on the organization of these offices, but what we see here is an emphasis on the character, the purity, the, the, the spiritual maturity on the officers themselves. Now, what are the qualifications for these deacons? Well, you see here, they, there is their character. He, he lists, lists personal things. They have to be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. We... We see these qualifications spiritually. He's, he holds to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, he is a committed believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, they're tested. They're to be tested and, and be found beyond reproach. They're to, they're to be morally pure. Their, their lives are to be irreproachable. They're, they're not, those who, who don't reach this or those who are not, uh, uh, irreproachable. They find themselves without qualification to be an elder. They must be the husband of, of one wife. That is to be morally pure. Um, they are, their, their spiritual life, their home life is to be such that they are good managers of their own children and their, their own household. All of these are the characteristics, but the question is, what do deacons actually do? Or maybe, let me ask it this way, what would be in the scriptures the difference between an elder and a deacon? All right? What are the difference between elders and deacon? I think what we have to realize is that deacons 
are equally qualified with elders in terms of their their spiritual or their char- their spiritual life, their their character. The one difference that we see is that an elder is given with this responsibility, remember back in Acts chapter 6, given this responsibility for the word and prayer. And one of the qualifications for an elder is that he be able, he be apt to teach. I suppose the one glaring difference, as I look at this, the one glaring difference between an elder and a deacon in the Bible is the elder's ability to teach. Now, that doesn't mean that someone who is a deacon isn't able to teach necessarily or isn't even involved in teaching, but we see here an elder's responsibility primarily with the word. One man said this, uh, they should both have the capability to manage their households, to lead the members of their congregation, and should have proven faithfulness. The only quality not repeated for both elders and deacons is the aptitude to teach with skill. That is not required of deacons. Elders should be given the priority responsibility of teaching the word, and that be, can be accomplished as deacons share the work of the ministry with them. What we see throughout the New Testament However, it changes over the course of time and in different areas within the, 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 the scriptures and even different areas geographically, uh, through time and culturally. The deacon's role is always one of administration. It's always given with the, the care of the flock. A deacon's role is not primarily teaching. That doesn't mean they're any less spiritually qualified, they're any less spiritually honored, they're any less spiritually respected. But what we see in the New Testament, and beginning with the, the, the I, I think the seed of a deacon in Acts chapter 6, what we see throughout the New Testament is that these deacons are set to relieve those who are skilled in teaching so that they are free to pursue the study of the word and prayer as they shepherd the flock of God. Somebody said this, in a special sense, the deacon's task sums up the essence of spiritual greatness. Our Lord said, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. In that way, a deacon models the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true that everyone in the church is a servant. It's true that we've all been called to, 
to serve Christ by serving his church. And all of us have been given a spiritual gift, a a supernatural enabling to serve Christ by serving his church. And we have the privilege of partaking together of that. And listen, where that's not happening in the local church, where the members of the local church are not serving Christ by serving his church, that church suffers Because we understand that God, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, God has appointed the members to this church. He has anointed the members of this church with the exact spiritual gifts that we need for for a healthy, functioning, thriving local church. And part of that gifting is... Serving within these offices, the office of an elder, the office of a deacon. Now, let me just say this. Someone might ask, what about women? Because maybe you've heard me talk before about a deacon and a deaconess. And and why do you do that? Well, I do that based on my understanding of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um. And what we just read there in verse 11. Their wives likewise. And, and I think that word wives ought to be translated the, the women, the, the female deacons. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober Minded. I think that relates, that word likewise relates these women to an office in the church referring back to what he's just been talking about. And I think Paul indicates a category within the office. We, we know he wasn't talking about the wives of deacons because no pronoun was used to refer to them. If that's what he meant, he would have said their wives or their women, but he doesn't use the pronoun. And so I think... He's referring like he does to Phoebe, referring to Phoebe in Romans 16.1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Sencrea. Phoebe was recognized by the church for her service, probably served in some kind of an official capacity as a deaconess at the church in Sencrea. And so I think this word, 1 Timothy 3.11, is used to refer to the office of a deaconess or a woman who is a servant within the church. Suppose we could say there are three offices in 1 Timothy 3. Elders, deacons, and deaconesses. And we see the various roles there. But the point is this. What is the purpose? And that is... To be what, What's the church called? The church in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 is called the household of God. And every household has its, its house stewards. And while we don't see specific, though, though we see deacons or servants of the church as we trace it throughout the New Testament, functioning various administrative ways throughout the church or throughout history, we don't see these, you know, this specific, make sure you have a deacon of this or make sure you have a deacon board of this or something like that. We don't see that. 
what we see is this allowance for the local church to be served well by those who are gifted by God for a specific local context to so administrate the body of Christ so that the elders do what the elders are supposed to do and lead and shepherd and oversee the church, right? Set policy, preach, teach, stop the mouths of false teachers, all of those kind of things. And the deacons care for, the deaconesses care for the orderly administration. They're spiritually, they, they, they are, they're held in a respectable position and a spec, respectable character. They, they, they meet these qualifications and the church recognizes them as such whenever those needs arise, whatever those needs might be within the local church. And so what really happens is that rather than the Bible sort of setting out and saying, these are the specific categories of deacons and deaconesses, it's, it's the life of the church as controlled by and administrated by the Holy Spirit that the, 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 those needs that arise, which actually dictates the need for and service of deacons within the local church. Let me say it this way. You, as a vital part of the local church, are to be so attuned to what's going on here and so attuned to the life of this local body that you see the needs. And you might see areas, maybe the elders are getting pulled in one specific area and we say, oh, that, that can't be. Let's, let's mitigate this. Let's bring this back to where they need to be. And let's, we need a servant. We need a deacon. We need deacons and deaconesses to function in this role so that we can be a specifically thriving, healthy local church because that's what God has designed. And so we're, we're so attuned. We're looking, man, how, how, how do we, where do we need deacons? Where do we need deaconesses serving in Calvary Bible Church? And not only that, but guess what you're doing? Have you ever brought a need to me? Have you ever come to me and said, there's something that needs to be done here at the church? Has anybody ever done that? Maybe not. Usually what I'll do is say, all right, go do that, right? So what you do is you, as you look for areas and we're seeing what's lacking here, as a, as a member of Calvary Bible Church, as part of the body, you're looking, my goodness, what do we need? Oh, this is a big need. Oh, wow, we don't have anybody to administrate the Good Samaritan Benevolence Fund. And we got people calling for needs. And what are we going to do? We got to meet that need. But not just you got to meet that need. Look at all the fingers that are pointing back to you. And you go, am I supposed to meet that need? Am I qualified? Am I called to serve the church as a, as a house steward, as a deacon, as a deaconess in this way? Those, those are things that could be lacking in our church. Our approach to church leadership with elders and specifically deacons and deaconesses. We'll talk later when we get into chapter 3 about our general um, the way we generally serve one another within our spiritual gifts, but this is a, a kind of a well-rounded view of and understanding of offices and uh, leadership within the local church. It would be good for us to think about these things, to pray, uh, 
as we look, what, what we're doing as a group of elders, we'll be looking in the coming weeks and months and have been looking, but we'll continue to do that in coming weeks and months, the best policies to implement, the best ways that we can account for and identify and communicate the, the position, the office, how that should work here at Calvary Bible Church. But really, this is something that is required that the entire church prays together. we got a week of prayer coming up. Would you give yourself to prayer specifically for leadership within this church, specifically that we can be a godly, biblical, healthy, thriving local church? Uh, can you be thinking about how this ought to be administrated within the church? And, and when the needs come, and when you're approached, and get ready to don the servant's towel and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater joy. And, and praise the Lord. We have, uh, you know, there can be lots of things that are lacking in a local church. And I'm sure lots of things that are lacking here. And I probably look through rose-colored glasses. But praise the Lord. We have a church of servants. A church of servants. And, and I think probably almost all of us have experienced that in one way or another. Somebody showing up at our house. Somebody doing this. Somebody looking. Let's even do more as God would lead us in these coming days. Amen? Let's pray together. So we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for giving us teaching on your church. We pray, Father, that you would get glory for yourself as we think more deeply about these things than we ever had before. As we surrender ourselves to you as a local church. As we serve maybe in a more committed way than we have before. As we, as we prune things out of our lives that are, are not helpful or are hindering us in our service towards Christ. And Lord, that there might be a, uh, that the name of Christ might be magnified because of the presence of this local church. The people would look at us and say, God is at work. God is in their midst. And we'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much for being here tonight. God bless you. Dismissed.